welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your hostess with the mostest, queen of sass and burnout. Recently, alpaca, sheer, and they don't really have hooves, but they have toenails. Toenail clipper. I've done that for the first time this summer, which I was absolutely terrible at. And that will be a blog post you will all get to read about here shortly that are coming out. But I hope your spring is kicking off just swimmingly. I have got such a fun guest today. I have to tell you, we met at the ACE conference that happened back in 2022. All you suckers who missed out, you really truly missed out. She let me do a tarot card reading for her and she reached back out again this spring. It was like, can I come on the podcast? And I was like, hell fucking yes, but just give me a few months. So now we're into May and we're doing this. So without further ado, listen to my conversation with Dr. Kathy Zhang. Hey, lady, why don't you tell all the people out in podcasting world who you are, what you do, the magic you're putting into this place? Thank you so much for having me here. I am a child of Chinese immigrants, grew up in the States, born in China. And as a kid, I loved science. Like I just ate it up. I devoured all of it. And then my parents were like, you should go to medical school. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. And so I went, trained in medicine, was a hospitalist for four years, and I liked it. And that lifestyle of seeing 15, 20 patients a day, spending less than, you know, just a few minutes with them was just not what I, as a little girl, had envisioned myself, you know, doing as an adult. And so after a while, I was just like, you know what? I, I wanted more. I want to be able to spend five, 10, 15, oh my God, like 30 minutes with a patient and just hearing their stories, like what makes them tick, you know, who their family is, how they got that weird nickname. Those were the moments that really lit me up inside. And so maybe about a, a year or two into hospital medicine, I started to get the itch. I was like, you know what? Maybe palliative care would be great for me. And finally, after four years of hospital medicine, I went back to fellowship. And I always like to say I was my uh, program director's least compliant fellow, if you'd like to call it that, uh, came out and then started my pal care job, my first pal care attending job, August 2019 in New York City. Fast forward, we know what happened in March 2020. And that was a shit show for many, many people, myself included. I was in a really, really dark space because of that. Got a lot of therapy, got a lot of coaching afterwards. And I am better than ever. So now I split my time between inpatient hospital palliative care and growing my own podcast, my coaching business. And it's it's a blast with challenges, but a blast. Oh, it, it's a dumpster fucking fire every single day. <laughs> but isn't it fun to be multifaceted? You yes. know, that, like you don't have to drive into the parking lot every single day of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And to remind ourselves that like, that's always been in us, but we just have gotten it a little beat out of us for oh, yeah. like years and years with training, right? Yeah. The social conditioning of like, this is what a good doctor looks like. Yes. Oh my God. It's just, it's wild. And you know, 
looking back on the other side when I was so burnt out, when I was just like, I hate this fucking place and I'm going to burn it all to the ground, like metaphorically, right? I, I would never commit arson. We kind of a little <laughs> bit. I, I, there, yeah. Ideas yeah. of grandeur occasionally pop in, but no, I get a hundred percent. Like when right. you're like, I, I hope a tornado decimates this place. Yeah. yeah. You're not in a good place. And me with it, right? And then just being like the the way that we're trained, we're such excellent clinicians and physicians, but like that level of perfectionism, like when you're like, oh, you can't correct, overcorrect their sodium, otherwise you're gonna throw them into locked in syndrome. Like that can't that isn't sustainable for the rest of your life, right? It's just wild. I don't know how you hospitalist folks do it. Like you you said, like 15 to 20 folks, but those 15 to 20 folks usually are like sick as shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think about my primary care. I even said this the other day to my nurse practitioner. I'm like, nobody dies here. It's okay. Nobody dies here. Not the same in inpatient, unfortunately. I think the world of you guys, and I love that, you went back. Your your fellowship training, was it running away or was it running towards or was it a little bit of both? Mm, that's a really great question. I think when I first started applying or think when I was first thinking about applying, it was running away for sure. And then when I actually learned more about it, started, you know, shadowing pal care people in my hospital on my, you know, random days off, I was like, actually, no, this is this is what I've been wanting to do. This is the type of medicine I've been wanting to practice ever since I was a little kid. And so it was more when I got there, I was like, oh yeah, this actually feels like, and I, you know, people throw this term around like a calling for me, right? For everyone, it's a little bit different. But for me, I was like, this is where I want to be. And I love it. I People are like, how do you spend so much time with like death and dying, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I've fucking love it. It's amazing to be able to be in that space with people at some of the worst, you know, most challenging times in their lives. And to be able to bear witness to that and see the amount of love and appreciation, gratitude along with the challenges. It's amazing. Absolutely. I feel like you're speaking my heart because people ask me the same thing with substance use disorder, treating it in primary care in a rural area. It really is just a really special work that you do and that so many other people do, including myself, like where we get to sit in some of the most intimate moments of people's lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's such a privilege to be privy to that as well. And I feel that way about coaching. Tell me a little bit more about who you're coaching, what your uh, special sauce is in the space. Mm, I love the terms that you use and I I love that you clipped uh, alpacas toenails like earlier. <laughs> I love alpacas, by the way. So I always like to say for me, therapy got me out of the deep, dark hole that I was in, got me back to my quote unquote baseline and coaching got me to see what was possible for the rest of my life. And as soon as I experienced it, I had no intentions of becoming like a coach or any of that stuff. I was just like, I want to feel better. But then as soon as it, I experienced it, I was like, I've got to give this to the rest of the world, right? And I'm sure you kind of felt the same. And so what I really like to help people with is to, I think so often, especially in medicine, we feel like we're being taken along for a ride, but someone else is driving the bus, right? And I really wanted to be able to put people back in the driver's seat of their own life 
to give them back that control to be like, okay, things are going to happen. Challenges are going to come my way. How can I deal with this in a way that feels true to me, That in a way that feels authentic? And also what I like to do is what we call kind of coaching the unconscious mind, because a lot of times rationally, we know certain things. We know we should be doing the thing. We know we should be working out. We know we should be yada, yada. And yet there's a part of us that's like, "Mm -mm, no, we're not going to do it. And getting down to those lower levels, that has just been transformative, like using NLP, using hypnosis, all of this stuff to really help people find the answers that are already within them. Because I always say my clients already know the answers. There's just layers of shit and programming and conditioning that make us believe that we don't know what the answers are. Yeah. And that we truly honestly don't have control over either. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're still trying to figure out all of those different little firing areas in our limbic system and, you know, in our uh, most primitive brain that that I think that's where a lot of this resides. I recently, so I do the same thing. Mine was coaching got me out of the dark place and then therapy helped me realize I had so much more shit to do. Um, <laughs> you know, therapy's great, but you can like run mind circles around like cognitively yeah. at times. 100%. And so same thing. I was kind of looking for, I'm a DO, so I like a little woo in my life. I was looking for something to, like you said, get down to that subconscious wiring because as a, I would say, super experienced coach, like I know all the mind backflips you can do and the questions and all the things at this point. And I'm good at navigating those and I could find that I can navigate through that, but I needed to get into those like deeper levels. And a lot of times you can't do that by yourself. Like you really do need someone to work with. So one of my BFFs, Melissa Hankins, she's out on the West Coast. Um, she does a lot of work with trauma and coaching. She's a psychiatrist by training and she does EFT, emotional freedom technique, which is tapping. Right. And then also we've been getting into some of the other techniques that she does as well. And it's been so interesting. Like it kind of weirds my brain out a little bit sometimes. I'm not going to lie because like things will start flying out of my mouth and I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's wild, true. It? Like it is wild. And, and like, you know, this is actually kind of the, one of the things that I found that has kind of worked. Talk to me through like NLP and hypnosis. Like I know a little bit, Stella Evans is a good friend of mine and I know she does a lot of NLP stuff and I love to hear her talk about it, but, but give me your thoughts and like, talk to us as the audience of like how this can be beneficial for each of us. Yeah. I love employing these modalities because a lot of times they're so helpful. There's so much literature out there, like you said, on tapping on EFT. And a lot of people are just like, I don't know what, you know, like tapping on these points is going to do for me. And it is, has huge benefits. A lot of times if my clients are stuck in a loop or, you know, disempowering thought or a habit, I'm like, pause, like, let's tap it out. Right. Because if we can break that neural circuitry, that neural pathway, we know from our studies, our training, you know, what wires, what fires together, wires together. And the more that we travel down a certain neural pathway, the stronger and faster it gets. And our brain being wired for survival, it wants to conserve energy. So why would it go down a path that isn't formed, let's say a new empowering thought when it's, you know, got a super highway of decades of 
being run down that we can just like go that way. Right. And so for a lot of people, just that schematic of knowing the road, the dirt road versus the superhighway makes it be like, oh, I'm not broken. Like there's nothing wrong with me. This is just my brain executing a habituated pattern that's been developed over decades. And so with things like hypnosis, NLP, NLP is helpful, stands for neuro-linguistic programming. And basically the brain has different schematics of where we place things that we do want to do and things that we really don't want to do. And so, you know, basically if you think of something like for me, it's travel, I would never hesitate. If given the opportunity, I would never hesitate to travel. And so my brain, our brains have already categorized that. So if you ask a bunch of people, they will say like, oh, is it a still image or moving? For most people, it's moving. It's in color. It's really bright and you can see it with such clarity. And if you think of something that you really hesitate, you really don't want to do. And for a lot of people, when I was doing my coach training, we it was tax season. So everyone was saying their taxes. In contrast, that image and that schematic of where our brain has categorized that still image, not moving. It was black and white or desaturated, not in color. And then here's the wild part. If you can help your client or if you can manipulate that of which you don't want to do and move it to the position in your brain it where you see it of the things that you do want to do and you loop it around several times, that impulse diminishes dramatically. And you actually start to be like, actually, you know what? I could handle it. Taxes aren't that big a deal. And just something as simple as that, that takes five minutes, you know, and people are like blown away at the results of that. And the same thing with hypnosis. Hypnosis gets us into a different level of consciousness and it helps us access the answers within. It helps us see things or you know, put pieces together that rationally or when we're awake and that sort of thing, we can't really do because there's so much going on in our periphery, in our world that we're thinking of, et cetera, et cetera. And so using those modalities, all these different things is super, super fun. Yeah. I love it too. I, it, I just did a lecture last Friday on about SUD in the brain and trauma in the brain. And it's just, it's so it's like batshit crazy, the things that our brain does. And I love using the movie Inside Out to like those parallels. And I'm excited to see what the next 10, 20 years does and research and what we understand even more and further. And I just, I find it absolutely fascinating, you know, that it we really can create is. these whole worlds in our heads and not even know it. Mm-hmm. And then we're just like, oh, why am I like this? Like, no, there's a reason, right? It's all of our childhood experiences. It's what we've grown up with. It's what we've been conditioned with. Even the epigenetics research, that blows my mind too. Oh my gosh. So it's like deep and twisty and like all the things. And one of my mantras is people can't be broken. Only things can be broken. Mm -hmm. And, you know, reminding ourselves that like, no, there's probably a reason. Do we fully understand it? No, maybe someday. But for right now, like we're doing, you're doing the best you can. And here's some tips and tricks and tools to to help with that neural circuitry. Exactly. I love it so much. Yeah, it's the best. It's so much fun. Tell me how your coaching has impacted your physician life, your professional life. Mm. Well, on the surface level, you know, I have 
definitely like set better boundaries. You know, I used to be one of those people and I know you've, you know, spoken to a lot of people and felt this yourself where like I would go in sick as a dog, you know, like I remember once I was so, so sick. I came back from a trip to Portugal and my husband and I both got really had a terrible GI viral illness, like from both ends. And, you know, it was like 24 hours straight of just nonstop. And I was scheduled to go in for, you know, like several 12 hour shifts in a row. I was still a hospitalist back then. I think I took two days off when in reality, looking back, I should have taken a whole week off. But, you know, if I didn't show up, who would do the work, right? They would have to call someone else in, all of this stuff. And so I went in and I actually had to ask a nurse friend of mine to come down to my office and give me, I think it was probably two, maybe three liters of LR. And she stuck me seven times. And she's like, this never happens. She's like, I'm the one that the ICU nurses call when they can't get a like a line in. She goes, you are super dehydrated. And I was admitting patients. I was doing all this stuff. And I, I tell you, Aaron, it took every single ounce of strength that I had to not poop my pants, like to just like hold it in so that I could make it back to my office while I was admitting a patient. And I was like, how, how is this right? How do we do this to ourselves? And I've heard people are like, I went into surgery with a 102 fever, all this stuff. And so a lot of it is just being like, I'm worth the self-care. I'm worth the whatever I need to do to take time to restore my energy so that I can be a better physician for my patients, for my colleagues, for my boss, whoever it is. Like that was game-changing for me. And that that's probably been the biggest thing. There's other things too, just like how I relate to people, you know, how I respond to situations that are totally out of my control, where I would otherwise be spinning. Those have been just incredible for my life. And I know you felt it too. Oh, 100%. I was just, as you were talking, the words came into my brain was, I am a human too. Like I get to be sick and I get to like also take care of myself just as much as I take care of the people around me who, you know, are under my doctor patient relationship because I don't, I don't know when it got programmed in for me somewhere along the way, the whole like demigod superhero complex of what a physician is. I think some of it is probably from watching way too much ER growing up. <laughs> oh my God. I loved ER. <laughs> but you know Wiley. what I mean? Like we get, we already had our predisposed, like what a doctor is going to be. And then all of that hidden curriculum along the way, the behavior patterning that we got displayed. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I recently was talking to someone I work with and in the back of my mind I'm like, wow, she really needs to like take some time off and I'm like, and I need to follow my own advice. I need some margin too. Yeah. Like when we are exhibiting the same symptoms that we're treating our patients for, like, mm, maybe it's time to take a step back and be like, why why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. That's why I'm really trying to talk with organizations. I've talked about it a couple of times here on the podcast, just normalizing sabbaticals. 
like taking that time away, making it truly restorative recovery and so that you can see the forest through the trees. Yeah. I like to think about it as, um, you know, like a bathtub when you're filling it with water and then there's the drain, right? Like for me, burnout feels like when you've got the water turned on to the max, but the drain is, you know, not plugged. And so you're trying to fill the bathtub up, but there's like the drain is just draining the whole time. It's got like a vacuum on the other and it's like sucking it all. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like a super sucking out of the water. Right. And then rest is when the you know, drain is plugged and then recharging is when you're actually turning the faucet on with the drain in place. And then you can like fill the bathtub, you can fill your own cup, however that is. And so once I figured that out and I was like, Oh, that's, that's pretty good. Like, I think I thought of that about maybe like a month ago. So uh, it just really reminded me that like, this is all, it's not just rest, it's recharging in addition to that. For our friends who are sitting out and listening to the podcast right now, what words would you have for them? I'm just going to go with what I feel at the moment, which is life is hard. Like, fucking hard. It's fucking hard. And honestly, it's not just like the challenges when things get bad, right? Just literally waking up and getting through a day is hard. And I think a lot of us don't give ourselves enough credit to be like, no, I've made it through a day. Like I didn't get hit by a bus, you know, like gun violence or whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, I picked up my kids from work. Like I put food on the table, things about basic necessity and survival that we're just like, you know, we're supposed to be doing this. That's hard too. And then you want to add on top, like people getting sick and, you know, losing someone that you love or, you know, financial stress or, you know, relationship troubles. All of that is really, really difficult. And so that is just to say, like, you know, a lot of people may not be sharing their struggles and a lot of people might be living in isolation, thinking that they're the only ones going through it. And I remember when I was, you know, suicidal and all this stuff, I was like, I'm the only person who's ever felt this way in the entire history of the world, which of course was untrue. But when you're in it, it's hard to see anything else but that. And so for anyone listening, you know, I hope that when you listen to this podcast and all the stories and all the guests that you have on is that, you know, it's hard and there's something that can be done about it. You know, reach out, ask for help. Like you don't have to, it doesn't have to be this way. Absolutely not. Yeah. That, that first, the first curative medicine to help anyone is connection Mm -hmm. and finding your people. So, well, Dr. Kathy Zhang, Tell us about where people can hang out with you. Talk a little bit more about your podcast so they can come get some Kathy love, all the things. Yeah. So my podcast is called The Purpose Filter. And I started it basically because I was learning so much from my patients at the end of life. And I was like, these lessons need to be shared. And so I share those lessons along with some practical advice from my coach brain. And so you can hear that wherever you stream your podcasts. And I'm on Instagram at Purpose Filter, LinkedIn, Kathy Zhang, and 
you can find me wherever. I love it, friend. Well, the badass in me honors the badass in you. Thank you for reaching out and coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. friend. So my word of the year for 2023 is going to be slacking for two reasons. One, I am really going to pull back the throttle in 2023 and see what life is like when I just do enough. Not extra, not overboard, not overworking, burning myself out, burning candle at both ends, slacking. Something I don't think I've really ever done my entire life. I'm excited about it, but I'm also worried, of course, (laughs) the classic OCD overworker, how this is going to be. The other reason that slack is going to be my word in 2023 is that's where I'm going to hang out. You're not going to see me in a lot of new places. I'm just going to be waiting for you in my DMs on Slack. Yeah, I'll probably occasionally post on Instagram and still send out a few emails but you're going to see a change in Burnt Out to Badass and Dr. Me First. You're going to just see me waiting willingly and quietly in the corner for those who are ready for help. No more blasting lots of advertisements and marketing and pushing people. When you're ready, you'll come and we're going to see how it goes. So there you go. That's my word for the year. How about you? Have you picked a word? I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email. Better yet, send me a DM in Slack. Or maybe you want to join me and let's make theorists the year of slacking. All right, friend. Remember, if work is your drug, rest is your recovery. Come over and hang out with Slack and me and start slacking off a little bit in life.